Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 468. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Ancient M. And I'm Lorraine Singh. And we were, like, really close to completely changing the show for good this morning and turning it into only a podcast about the movie Cats from 2019. Not the musical, not the Broadway no, musical, no, 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 no. the movie I mean, musical. tangentially, we would probably have some discussion about the musical, but only about the movie. It is probably the most important film of 2020. I think it really encapsulates a lot mm-hmm. of what 2020 has been about, which yep. is Cats. Yeah, it's a uh, it's really important film. If you've not seen it, please go out and, and check it out. But unfortunately, we are not going to make this show just about Cats, the film from 2019. We are going to talk about everything that's happening in Marvel this week, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, whatever. Uh, and we actually have some really fun stuff to talk about with our erstwhile co-host, James Monroe Eigelhart, who's been a busy man. Yeah, um, we've missed having him around a lot. And uh, just this this week, James hosted the Tony Awards nominations. If you have not watched, you can, I'm sure, go back and watch it on the Tony website or go check out his social media, uh, James M. Eigelhart, for all of that. Plus, he's doing a crazy concert. Yeah, this is really, really cool. He's doing a Nightmare Before Christmas benefit concert. He's going to be on again soon, so we can talk to him a little bit about it, but it's going to be a wild, really fun virtual concert with the songs from Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas film. Yeah, and and it is remote, so you can watch it from wherever you are, but it's got a crazy cast. Of course, it's got James in it, but it's got a ton of uh, big Broadway stars in it. Uh, James is going to uh, sing the part of Oogie Boogie, which I think he's going to crush. If you oh my, gosh. if you guys haven't heard James sing, he's like wonderful on our podcast, but oh my God, please go listen to James sing. <laughs> His actual career is singing and performing on Broadway. So yeah. Yeah. He's a, a fabulous performer and very appropriately, the stream is going to be on October 31st on Halloween, uh, which is a great thing to do. It starts at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time earlier. If you're on the West Coast, because that's how time works. <laughs> you can get your tickets at vimeo.com slash on demand slash TNBC. Uh, and again, the proceeds are going to the Lymphoma Research Foundation and the Actors Fund. So it's going to be an amazing performance. And also uh, the money's going to go to some great causes and help out a bunch of people. Lorraine, I have a question to yeah. ask you. Yeah. So this is being broadcast on Halloween. Do you consider Nightmare Before Christmas a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? Well, it's funny. I started watching it this weekend. So I guess technically I think of it as a Halloween movie. But I prefer to watch it from Halloween to Christmas. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I like to kind of kick off in the Halloween season and then I just keep it keep it rolling. I actually but I watched it this weekend because I was so excited when James announced this. I was like, I listened to the album when I was driving around this weekend running errands. And then I was like, gotta watch the movie. And you know what? Holds up. It's so good. I just want to picture you driving around the Hudson Valley with like a convertible top, but all gothed out listening to Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack and just like like nodding your head at all the, the, the kids and the old people. And this like- is all pretty close. I, I do have just like a very normal SUV. I wish I had a cool drop top. Is that what they call it? A convertible? Uh, that's a type of convertible, yeah. But no, it was very lovely, though, because all the leaves are turning red and orange. And I was like, I'm living my truth. Have you ever had a, a convertible? Uh, oh, no. Oh, uh. no. I'm from a dangerous area. <laughs> <laughs> I've never not lived in a dangerous area. Sure. Yeah. Well, until now. Now it's I'm in a sleepy little town. But yeah, convertible is yeah. not available to me. <laughs> uh, my first car was a white convertible <gasps> with a what? top and it was old. And my uh, one of my dirtbag uncles sold it to me, and it was a piece of crap. But I loved that car so much. Oh my god, you sixteen year old Ryan, just like yeah, I'm the coolest. I was driving home one night, and the brakes stopped working <gasps> as I was like two blocks away from my house, and I had to use the emergency brake, which is not a good thing to do when you're just you know regularly driving. Yeah. Also, it set itself on fire at one point, um, but I took care of that. I almost slid down a hill and had to use the emergency brake and all through the side of a cliff. Oh, God. Driving when you're 17 or 16 <laughs> is treacherous, kids. Bad idea. Your brain, you know, when not you're not fully that age, formed. brain's not fully formed. 
So just keep that in mind. If you are young, please be careful. And if your VW bug dies, don't try to push start it down a hill. Uh, that's another story for another time. Lorraine, <laughs> you dropped something into our doc that I saw as well this morning. It was really fun. Yeah, I just thought it was so cute. I wanted to talk about it. NFL player Chad Johnson posted a picture and he said, I bet y'all can't name this movie one of my favorites. And uh, it's a picture from Howard the Duck, the finest film that's been made in the last century, I would say, <laughs> at least according to my childhood. I was obsessed with this movie in which a human woman does, in fact, kiss a duck romantically. There's also uh, a naked female duck yep. that we see in the film. Uh, hashtag duck boobs. Yep. Duck, yep. This is, oh, so the Chad Johnson is Ocho Cinco. Got it. It's yeah. That guy. This is amazing. I would love to program in a movie theater with just Marvel fans a double feature <gasps> of Cats and <gasps> Howard the Duck. Can you imagine? I... A hundred percent, yes. Oh, my god! I would also accept Howard the Duck and the television film of Generation X from, like, you, you've 1996. You've been talking about this a lot lately. It's been on my mind because I rewatched it on YouTube, and I just had a good giggle. I should rewatch it. You should also give a look for, if you haven't yet, the Power Pack uh, pilot from- Oh, yeah. I've never the, seen it. The late 80s. Or, I actually thought it was pretty good, and it would have been a really cool show, like- Almost a goosebumpsy type show mm. for kids of that time. It's it's fun. It's it's actually really really fun. Um, sad it didn't get it didn't get turned into an actual show. I want to know, listeners, do you love the Howard the Duck movie? And if so, how much? And if not, how much do you love the movie? There's oh only God. one answer. There's only one answer. Also, <laughs> a young Nick Lowe and a young uh, what's his bucket? Tim, the scientist guy in Howard the Duck. Tim. Who's married to Susan Sarandon? Tim Roth? Tim Robbins. No, Tim, Roth. Tim, Tim Tom Robbins. Tim Robbins? Tim Robbins. Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, editor Nick Lowe and Tim Robbins at this young age, identical. It's insane. Like, rewatch it, and they look so much alike. They do. They do. Also, fun thing, the connection, a, a further connection is that Leah Thompson, who is one of the stars of Howard the Duck, the film, actually made cameos in the Howard the Duck comics from a couple yeah. of years ago. They did a really fun thing um, incorporating her into, into the show. It was really, really neat. Oh, man. That is such a great movie. And also, Howard the Duck to me looks like Macaulay Culkin. His, uh, look at his eyes. Just look at his eyes. Uh, let's keep this train rolling and get into some actual brand new Marvel news because this week starts the rollout of January solicits. And if you don't know what that means, it it basically means that three months before a comic releases, we start to get our first look at these comics. We get information, we get announcements. So we are three months ahead looking into January's books. And um, some of the highlights include some stuff we're going to talk about now. We're going to start with King in Black. King in Black is the big Marvel Comics event that is hitting this. Uh, it starts in, gosh, it starts really soon. It oh starts my in December, yeah. Yeah, it's starting really soon. And this the, the story is about the god of the symbiotes, the god of the void, Null. Null. Null, K-N-U-L-L. I believe it's Null. <laughs> A lot of people are going to have issues with us making those weird noises. Null. Welcome uh, to my ASMR. This is Null. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Null is coming to Earth, and it's causing a lot of problems, and it also gives us a lot of tie-ins. What are some of these tie-ins, Lorraine? Uh, well, there's going to be a full bucket of tie-ins. King in Black, Planet of the Symbiotes, number one. That's going to be by Clay McLeod, Chapman, Q, Villanova, uh, Frank Thierry, that guy. Friend of the show, Frank Thierry and uh, Danilo Beirut. Uh, there's also going to be just so many more. There's going to be King and Black, Black Knight number one. Uh, we love Black Knight. So that's going to be a great, fun time to see him in action by Simon Spurrier. Always a good time with art by Jesus Says and a, a bunch of folks. There's going to be Dean Whitman, of course, and then Arrow and Swordmaster versus Dragons. So, you know, dragons and swords. Oh it's a good time. It's great. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be King of Black Thunderbolts, which I'm super excited for. It's by Matt Rosenberg and Juan Ferreira, uh, two of my favorites. Matt is a dear friend of mine, and Juan is one of my favorite artists right now. So the new Thunderbolt squad has Taskmaster, Rhino, Star, Mr. Fear, and Batroc Zilliber. 
versus giant symbiote dragons. Again, it's going to be so cool. Uh, then we're going to have a King of Black Gwenom versus Carnage series that Shauna McGuire is writing with art by Flaviano, which sees Null going to Gwen's Earth of Earth 65. So that is Ghost Spider, a.k.a. Spider-Gwen. That Gwen, it's going to be wild seeing how that pans out. Yeah, I think people are also going to be really excited for Symbiote Spider-Man King in Black number three by Peter David and Greg Land because uh, there's going to be some Kang goodness. And also, whenever you hear the name Symbiote Spider-Man, that's that's the classic. That's the OG, man. Yeah. And Kang better have a nice flowy blouse or else I'm going to riot. It's a tunic, Ryan. He blouse. He a tunic. It is long. It covers the butt. Therefore, it is Le tunic. I'm calling it a blouse. I don't care. You don't shame me. Uh, we've got tie-in <laughs> issues for Venom. Uh, Venom number 32 is going to have art by Stormbreaker member Iban Coelho, who we talked about the Stormbreakers last week, if you missed that. Uh, Spider-Woman number eight by Carla Pacheco and Pere Perez, which is great. And there's even more King of Black stuff, stuff that we haven't even uh, revealed yet, but one that we're going to talk about right now. So there's going to be Return of the Valkyries 1 and 2. It's also tied into King in Black. And Jane is going to have to rebuild the Valkyrie forces, which you remember in War of the Realms went really bad for the Valkyries. They got their butts handed to them. And by butts, I mean their whole bodies. It was bad deals. <laughs> yeah. But there's going to be Hildegard and Danny Moonstar and a fourth. Uh, it's by Jason Aaron with Torin Gorbeck and Nina Vicueva. Yeah, that one is super cool. I know the fourth uh, Valkyrie that they're talking about from one of the uh, creative retreats. Very exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Uh, and on top of the King of Black stuff, we got the third issue of Wolverine Black, White, and Blood, which is really cool because it marks the Marvel Comics debut of Academy Award winner John Ridley. So John Ridley, writer of 12 Years a Slave, who's um, been doing a bunch of comics writing, makes his Marvel debut in here alongside stories by creators Donny Cates, Jed McKay, Chris Pashalo, Jesus Saiz, and Jorge Fornes. John Ridley is going to, I think, knock everyone's socks off when like, we see his Marvel stuff come through. It's really cool. Lorraine, we talked about Cats being the most important motion picture. Yes. But... The most important comic book is, of course, Modoc Head Games. Okay. And in January, we get issue number two. It's written by Jordan Bloom and Patton Oswalt with art by Scott Hepburn. Jordan has been sharing me like some of the art that Scott's been doing. This book is, as you would say, bucket nuts. And it is so good and so fun and so weird and actually like so wonderful for a Modoc continuity nuts and just fans of, of the big guy. It's going to be oh. great. This book was written specifically for Ryan. Yeah. Um, also, I want to note that uh, I know we talk about it a lot, mm. but Jordan and Patton are, of course, working on Marvel's MODOK. Uh, so they know their way around that big headed little boy. That's right. Um, we talked a little bit about it last week, the Marvel's MODOK panel at New York Comic Con. It actually happened before our episode release, so we didn't want to spoil anything. But something that they announced in there was that the show is animated by Stupid Buddy, a.k.a. the folks behind Robot Chicken, which is amazing. Like the stuff that they're doing with the stop motion in this show is Gorgeous. If you didn't see the panel, they showed two clips from the show. They had some of the cast members on. It's going to be funny and it's going to be weird. And again, there's tons of fun little details as you watch that panel. And as you get into the show, man, it's it's jam packed. Um, but look out for more announcements coming about the show and about the book. It's what fun. Yeah, and stay tuned for lots more January comics announcements in the coming days as we yeah. get more of those. There's a, I've looked at the list. Lorraine and I had got you know access to that ahead of time, and it's there's some good stuff in there. Also really cool is something we started, I think, a week or so ago. There's a Marvel Tough Mudder partnership, which is all about, you know, Tough Mudder is these cool, like, and it's fitness and, like, all these cool challenges, and now they're doing them and digitally. It's dirty. It's a mess. These people get in the mud, Ryan. Dirt. And then they have to run at the same time. Not only do you have to exercise, you have to be dirty and exercise. I don't like getting dirty at all. And I hate it. love it, Ryan. I hate it, Lorraine. It drives me nuts. I wear slippers in my house because I don't like my bare feet touching the floor most of the time. That's who I am. So I, I am not going to be 
I wouldn't be doing the outdoors ones, but I think this Tough Mudder um, partnership is really neat because it's all digital. You get to do these challenges and they're fun challenges. There's stuff like Ant-Man's Block Party, which is a distance challenge. Black Panther's Mount Bashenga, which is an elevation challenge. Marvel Mania is a rep challenge. Searching for the Infinity Stones is a bobbing for activity. And so you, you would see all these as you go into the program, as you sign up and you go to Tough Mudder. That's M-U-D-D-E-R dot com to sign up to see all the challenges being to begin training um you can register through october 27 2020 i think it's really cool that the participants are able to earn uh unique marvel tough mutter co-branded gear and stuff so look out for some cool stuff like headbands and a whole bunch of goodness and uh, it's going to be going through december so get on it go do it yeah so you guys have a little bit of time if you still want to sign up or just get more information again that's toughmutter.com. that is music to my ears, Ryan. Yeah, let's talk about music. Let's talk about Corey Taylor, singer of the band Slipknot and Stone Sour, and of course, his own uh, self-titled project, which is brand new. That's what he's here to talk about. Uh, and he's our interview this week on the show. And we're not just talking about music. We get into it because Corey is really into Marvel. He's got a deep history. He's got collections. He's got like his fandom goes uh, way, way back. And it was really fun to talk to him and actually like hear him drop some cool knowledge and some information that, you know, proves that he's got the chops, Marvel fans. He's uh, he's in it to win it. Corey, thanks for coming back to This Week in Marvel. How's everything going? What's uh, What's the coolest thing you've seen this week? Oh God, the coolest thing. Um, I saw the lyric video for our new release that we just put out, uh, a song called Highway 666. It's actually a, a kind of like an animated kind of vibe to it. Yeah, it's not not fully animated, but it look it definitely looks like panels from a comic, you know, which is which was pretty rad. And uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I saw that and. Um, and then the reaction that people have had to, to Highway 666 has been pretty dope. So, yeah, that's probably the coolest thing I've seen this week. Right on. Um, so this is a Marvel show. I always like to to sort of kick things off by finding out, you know, what I guess what their Marvel origin story is. So, like, how did you first get connected to the Marvel characters or stories? Was it a comic or a pair of pajamas or what was it for you? Well, for me, it was a fistful of kind of beat up, gnarly comics that my mom had uh, that we that kind of followed us from house to house. You know, it was almost like it was almost like at the time, like every house had like a handful of like comics that were just kind of sitting in with all the magazines and stuff. This was at least in the seventies, anyway. And uh, none of them had covers. Like it was, <laughs> it was pretty ridiculous. Sure. Um, but. I can remember after uh, after a fashion, like when I was uh, probably I just you know kind of gotten through kindergarten, going into first grade. Like I remember finding these comics and I could all of a sudden I could read them, you know, and I really just kind of lost my mind over Spider Man, you know, and uh, he was yeah, he was always like my favorite character um and this was 70s spidey so it was you know just kind of all over the place like all the all the the gnarly uh, villains were coming in you know so you had everybody from punisher to morbius and you know old school electro and i mean it was it was pretty rad man so yeah so um that was my uh you know spidey's been my favorite uh superhero since since i was very little yeah i mean you, you can't go wrong he's like the greatest character ever. He looks amazing. He's yeah. he's funny. He's talking smack the entire time that he's going up against these people, which is so rad. And that's what I that's what I loved about uh, multiverse was that they really kept captured that you know, and uh, mm -hmm. the fact that they all there was so much there was humor, but there was you know there was there was drama, but there was humor, and that's really two things that you really identified with Spider-Man, you know, and throughout the entire run was, you know, he's, he's throwing these quips out and stuff and he comes off as very, you know, gregarious and, and things. And, but then he, when he takes the mask off, these very human issues and problems come screaming back into his life, you know, and 
that's something that's so real that I, I feel like any superhero would have to go through that. That would be what, you know, because just, just having powers is not the golden ticket, you know? No. Did that kind of influence of Spider-Man and the mask and all that stuff, did that influence you at all in terms of like building Slipknot and, and sort of the look? And I know it, obviously it's a lot different than, you know, quippy Spider-Man, but, you know, there's, there's something to that of like, there's a, a deep emotional resonance underneath like this exterior. I, I mean, I can't lie. Um, you know, there's def- definitely moments where you feel like you're taking on that different persona, you know, and and really trying to stand for something that maybe you couldn't without it, you know. I, I mean, in a way, it's very reflective of that is uh, one of the biggest reasons for me for the masks was to be able to show people more of who you are. You know, I think sometimes we hide behind this, just our regular faith, because it's it's not socially acceptable. It's not easily digestible. You know, people are, are afraid to be that brave sometimes. So by putting that mask on, we were able to really reveal so much of ourselves through the music, through the lyrics, through the imagery, through this, through that, and really kind of share that kind of art you know, so in a way, yeah, maybe there's a, a reflective kind of superhero vibe to it that allows you to be a little stronger and a little more honest and maybe stand up more for the things that you believe in. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's what some of our greatest superheroes do. Do you have any other favorite characters or stories or creators uh, that, that you really have glommed onto over the years? I mean, both Ramitas were amazing. So, you know, I mean, you can't mess with that. Um Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Cap. Um, that was since I was a kid. You know, I mean, my favorite comic of all time is a uh, is actually a, a Spidey Cap crossover where they're fighting um, Electro and another villain. I can't remember that. I can never remember his name. Um, and I have, I actually have that comic. I have it in my my backpack. I carry it with me everywhere. Is that that's from like the the late seventies, right? Late seventies, yeah. And I, I want to say it's a Marvel team up. Or a Marvel annual. It's one of those. But uh, I love Cap because of the hope that is there. The the hope for not only for the outcome of any battle or the hope that, you know, you'll come through in the end, but also the hope that he's had for humanity, that real genuine hope that we can all kind of put differences aside sometimes and really kind of get on the same page because that's ostensibly what America is supposed to be about. You know, I know in this day and age, that's not really where it's at. However, that's the ideal. You know, the American ideal is we accept all people and we, we try to make this country better because of its people, because they're, it's so diverse, you know, and Cap's spirit is a reflection of that, you know, you know, I remember in the 80s, I don't know, I can't remember, it, was, it wasn't the Brubaker run, but it was definitely one of the runs where, you know, the American image in real life had really taken a hit. Um, so the character was kind of down. You know, there was a sense of doubt about what he believed in and whether or not he was a reflection of what America was, you know? But then again... Coming back to it, it's when you embrace, you embrace that again, you embrace that ideal. It's like, well, okay, that may not be what modern America is right now, but that's still what I believe are the best traits, you know? So I love the, the complexity of that character, you know, where sometimes his ideals don't really jibe with what's actually going on, but, but still having the resolve to stick to his guns and really have that, you know, sense of, you know, if we can just keep hope, everything will be okay. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned, you know, you have these comics that they were (laughs) tattered and beat up, but, you know, as you've gotten older, you, you've, you've had great success and stuff. Have you been able to, to go back and find some comics or collect comics? Is there anything that you as a fan are able to collect? I've, uh, I mean, I've still got a pretty big, comic collection and uh uh you know the weird thing is is that when you're on the road you know you you pick up a bunch of stuff I, it got to the point where it's like i wasn't buying trades anymore just because 
I, I just, I didn't have the time to really kind of focus on that. So I would wait and I'd just buy the graphic novels and I'd buy the collected ones. But every once in a while, you know, I'll, I'll like be kind of digging through the, you know, the dirt boxes. And not too long ago, I got this weird hair to look up the very weird crossover issues uh, from Howard the Duck. Um, yeah, no, and I'm going to go deep on you. And I can't remember. I love this. I can't remember the issue number, but it was the crossover with Howard the Duck. It was a Howard the Duck title, but it was Howard the Duck, a Hailstrom, the son of Satan, before Ellis made him cool, uh, and Kiss. So all in one issue. I, I can picture, because I think Howard puts on the makeup at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's yeah, yeah, really... Yeah, yeah. and. I had forgotten all about it, you know, and then I was reading about something like on like on a on a website and I went, oh, yeah. And so I immediately went out to a a comic shop and uh, I was digging through and I actually found it. When you're a comic nerd like I am and you you read about things like that, just this really weird, very specific, you know, couple of issues. You get excited about stuff like that because, and, and that's one of the reasons why comics are so rad is because anything can happen, you know? Like you can, you know, have a universe where Howard the Duck, the Son of Satan and Kiss are all in one. And it's just so enjoyable because you want that. You want that universe to feel like a million times bigger than it actually is, you know? And, you know, it's stuff like that that really touches you. Hell yeah. You know, you talking about that, like one bums me out that I can't go to comic shops and just dig around as much as, you know, I used to for any number of reasons. But my my collection thing and my producers are rolling their eyes right now is because I love what the and what if the comics. Yeah, dude, I love those. Absolutely. Yeah. And so like what if in particular, there's three issues that I'm missing from having a full run. Like I have a spinner rack in my living room and I don't want to like I can order them on a website, but I want to go somewhere. I want to buy them. I want to go to a comic shop or a comic convention and pull them out of a long box. You you know, you mentioned being on tour when you were on tour and going stuff and you're able to pick up some books when you're there. Are there yeah. other, you know, musicians, other bands, other folks that you can get this nerdy? Because it is rare for me to be able to talk to someone who drops like these kinds of references. So I'm I'm super jazzed. But, you know, <laughs> there's a certain level. That's a tough level to get to to, to have these convos. Uh I mean, there's a handful, you know, there's some people. It's, it's, sometimes it's mainly the text. Who they get, you know, they they tend to get into it, and they're just as nerdy as I am. And I bounce back and forth between comics and action figures. So I, mm. I have a ten, and I've got, I have a formidable action figure like collection. Is it a large scope of different types, or is it one particular type of figure? I get weird, man. Like I tend to, and I've been collecting action figures just as long as I've been collecting comics, and I actually have more action figures. I have all of the Secret Wars uh, carded and uh, for the for the most part, like really good condition. And I mean all of them. So I have Constrictor, I have Electro, I have Iceman, which are the ones that they only made in Mexico, I think. And they were that was the only place you could really find them. So I'm I'm pretty pretty crazy when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Uh all right. So comics you know, action figures, all that good stuff. Where, at what point, you know, like, how did you get the music bug? When did that start for you? That started pretty early, honestly. Um, I, I'd always loved music. Um, I'd started out, you know, just kind of listening to it over my mom's shoulder and whatnot. Uh, and then, you know, and listening to it really at my grandma's house. I was surrounded by music, it seemed like, all the time. I didn't realize that I was good until my cousin pointed it out to me really we were sitting in her room and, I, and she was the one I, I would listen to modern music with you know um and because we were she was a, a couple of years older than I was um but she was like MTV generation you know so this was early 80s this was 82 81 82 or maybe 83 and she noticed so when I wanted to listen to newer stuff she was who I went to um, so I was listening to Quiet Riot, Lover Boy, like all that stuff, you know, 
And I was singing along to Journey separate ways because Escape had just come out and uh, or Frontiers. I can't remember which. And she was like, are you singing along to that? And I was like, yeah. And she took the album. She drug me out into the living room where all my aunts, uncles, cousins, my grandmother, we were, they're all sitting there. And she goes, everyone, you need to hear this. And she put the album on and she goes, Corey, sing. And I'm standing in the corner. Now I'm like 10. Okay. So I'm like super young. And I just kind of stared at the floor and I just started singing and I'd sing it note for note, like, you know. Which, when you're 10, it's easy to hit some of those Steve Perry notes, you know. So, <laughs> not so much these days, but uh, and when it was done, I kind of looked up and they were all like smiling and clapping and like really, really, truly enjoyed it. They weren't just placating me because I was a kid, you know. Like my grandmother was smiling ear to ear, like she was beaming, you know. And she's one. She's the person who ostensibly really raised me. So. That meant so much to me and also showed me that I was good at something. Because up to that point, I didn't really feel like I was good at anything, you know? And, uh, yeah, so a couple of, you know, false starts here and there. But then, you know, when, once I turned about 14, I, that's when I really started teaching myself how to play guitar. And the rest is history. Uh, how old were you when you started, like, with Slipknot, when, when that started really getting together? Slipknot started in 95, and then I joined later because I was already doing Stone Sour. Like, Stone Sour existed before Slipknot. So I was doing Stone Sour up until about 97. So I joined in 97. So I was about 23, just about to be 24. So I was younger, you know? And then within two years of me joining, we were signed, and we were on the road. So, I mean, it was really... It was crazy, man. I mean, it was a whirlwind. I mean, from the go. And now, and now, mind you, we had no clue that this was going to happen. None. I mean, at the time, we were really, our thought process about success was, okay, maybe we'll sell 250,000 copies and be able to tour and make a living touring. We, you know, we had no real idea of that we would be any bigger than that because that's all we wanted, you know? Yeah. We were, to us, we were like anathema to anything that was mainstream or whatever. So when it exploded, I mean, it, it took us by surprise, dude. I, I can remember the look on my face when they told us that it had gone platinum and then they told, and then almost like a, like a month or two later, this, they were like, okay, it's, it's, it's going to go double platinum. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> Good. That was blown away. And no idea. No, I, I, I can imagine. I, you know, I, I come from, I grew up in New York and, and was in like the, the hardcore scene and the punk scene right, in New right. York and a little bit of metal. So I remember, I was friends with this band Indecision and they would come back from a tour going down and they, they brought a tape back for a demo for Shy Halud. And this is like 97. Oh yeah. And, and they're like, this band's going to be crazy. And then you watch Shy Halud then become newfound glory and all this stuff. And right. it's like, I just get excited when, when you see bands that are sort of in your circles, get that kind of success. Cause I know how freaking hard y'all work on that. It's yeah, tough. dude. I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is we went from playing a, a club called the Hurricane in Kansas City, where there were seven people there. And literally in the in that span of a year, we went from there to going to California to record the album, coming back. We all went back to work, you know, like nobody was throwing tours or anything at us. It was only by luck that we got on OzFest 99 because Jack, we were Jack's favorite band suddenly. Like he had heard the two song cassette sampler that we had put out and then he had heard uh, Wait and Bleed and we were like his favorite band. So he convinced his parents to put us on OzFest 99, man. And we were like, okay, here we go, you know? So yeah. that was, and even then I kept my job you know, I had, I had no idea what was going to happen, man. You know, so it was it was crazy. We went from a year from from playing to nobody 
to like all of a sudden, and it was just, you just duck your head and go at that point. Yeah. It, it goes back, you know, for me, my brain always goes back to the what if of it all. And it's like, have you ever had that? What if Jack had never heard that tape and then you don't get that first opportunity? And then you, like, who knows what that right. story becomes? Right. I, I always think back. I mean, there's so many different things that I can look back as like, what if I had said no to yeah. Slipknot, you know, because they came to me and asked me to join. When they asked me to do it, I was so into it because I loved their band and I'd never done anything like that before, you know, so it was crazy. So like, what if I don't join then? What if we don't get the Conan O'Brien gig in 99, you know, which really sent everything, especially in the States. We were starting to blow up overseas just by word of mouth and Kerrang had done this massive write-up and it added us to this thing that they were doing with music and I mean, to this day, the, the show that we did at the London Astoria is almost like legend there. It's crazy. It was just this, this crazy, like linear climb to get to where we were. And it's, yeah, I mean, what if you take one turn and not the other? What if, you know, what if, you know, this song doesn't get picked up for this? I mean, it was insane. Nobody knows that he's lucky more than I do. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I am, yeah. Yeah. Uh, luck and hard work. Luck only gets you so far. The, True. To keep that train going takes a lot. You know, it's it's three things. It's right place at the right time, which is to me is luck. Work as hard as you can, but the talent's got to be there too. There has to be something that draws people to you, you know, because I said this all the time. I'm not the best singer. I, you know, I'm not the best guitar player. I don't write the best songs, but there's something about the culmination of all those talents, the way they coalesce, that attracts people to me, which, you know, I'm very grateful for, you know, it's, I'd rather have, I'd rather be this than the best singer in the world or the best this and the best that, because then you're just limited. To me, it, it takes that full, fully rounded package to get across to people, you know? Yeah. Speaking of fully rounded, you're also a writer. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. How'd you start getting into the to like writing prose and books and, and comic books and all that stuff? Um, it was, you know, stuff that I was interested in doing, you know. Um, I will tell you, man, writing comics gave me such an appreciation for what goes into writing comics. Between the panels and what you want to see and what needs to be said and this and that and the other thing and the back and forth that goes in. It's, it's insane, you know. So I get, I mean, luckily I had... I had a guy, my artist on, on those comics was incredible. He was so good. Richard P. Clark, by the way, he was, I mean, he was so good um, that when we, when I was describing some of the stuff to him, he immediately got it, you know? As difficult as it was on one end, it was also so easy on the other because you had a dude who was, you could, could read your mind, you know? Yeah, I, I've, I've talked to so many writers and artists and read so many scripts and seen the process in inside Marvel, which is this like well-oiled machine. Right. And even then it can be so difficult at times if everybody's not on the same page, but when it gels, it gels. Oh dude, when it gels, I mean, it just pops, you know, it, it's, it's just stuff like that. That again, I'm lucky enough to, to get the, the opportunities, uh, lucky enough to have written four books. Um, I'm working on movie scripts now. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to really be able to kind of explore things that, you know, that I've always wondered. It's like, would I be a good writer of books? You know, I was like, I know I can do prose. I know I can do verse, you know, stuff like that. What, what would I do on, you know, an unabridged kind of just, you know? Yeah. And then now, you know, back to music, you got a solo project and which branches out into a lot of different, you know, genres and stuff. How did this all come together? This came together. Uh, I mean, this is almost like a, kind of like the perfect storm kind of coming together. Um, this was something that I hadn't really planned on doing, but I, uh, you know, over the years, more and more people, it hit me up about, you know, whether or not I would do, ever do one. Um, 
and about 10 years ago, I had, I had toyed with the idea of doing something, but it was really kind of behind the moniker of another band, you know, like creating another band ostensibly to put out a solo album because at the time I just didn't have the confidence, you know, maybe, and maybe it wasn't the right time to do it. So, you know, I did that. It, it, it was fun, but it kind of fell apart. And I just put that on the shelf again. And, and, you know, I was just like, you know, I've got two bands. I'll just concentrate on those and I'll be fine. But the, the more people asked me about it and the more people, the more I started thinking about it is like, well, you know, I mean, I do have this, giant stockpile of songs, none of which sound anything like either band, because if they did, they would have gone with those bands, you know? So it just got to the point where I was like, okay, well maybe, you know, I've got these songs, let's kind of sift through these and see the ones that really kind of rise to the surface, the ones I'm vibing on, the ones that really feel like a different take on what I do musically, you know, almost filling in uh, a mystery piece of the puzzle, you know, because the music that I talk about, uh, that I that, that I talk about listening to and enjoying and loving, sometimes is very very different from the music that I make, you know, and this might be a way for me to kind of tip my hat to that and show people that you know that side of my passion and have them go, oh, okay, so you know this this is the stuff that he's into, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is awesome. Um, I, I saw in some of the promos that you had out there, there were, was that a championship belt, a CMFT belt? Is oh, that, yeah. where, where does that stem from? Is that, are you a fan of boxing, I'm a massive, wrestling? massive wrestling fan? Oh yeah. Yes, I was hoping so. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, I had that made just to have it when we were doing, when we were getting this album together, I, I kept looking at it and I kept going, Oh, this would be such an amazing album cover, you know? And it did, man. And we shot it at my house in my media room, like just with a black background. It cost five bucks, you know? <laughs> it was rad. It was so, and it's, it's really cool. Yeah. I, I, one of the things that I, I talk about again, my producers are rolling their eyes is like the, <laughs> the confluence of wrestling and comics and, you know, of, of course, music and comics, but wrestling and comics, the crossover between why we're fans of all these things makes perfect sense. Like it's just like live theater with superheroes. Right. It's just yeah. the most fun. Even bad wrestling sometimes is really good, you know, like in that weird, bad horror movie way, you know, um, it's the people who try to denigrate it that I I really get fired up on. You know, it's like it, it, their biggest thing when they come at me with it's fake, and it's just like, uh, okay, oh, I guess you're not a big fan of Shakespeare then, huh? <laughs> none of that was real. I don't know if anybody told you that. Um, but it's so great. It's exactly that. It's classic good versus evil. Even when it's complicated, you are still rooting for one side or the other you know it might be the last place where you know that sort of black and white really works and exists because you're you're meant to get behind it for sure uh last thing before we go let's say we have a marvel fan who hears you on the show and they've never heard stone sour or slipknot or your solo stuff uh do you have a record you'd recommend something that just says like here's here's who i am what i do Ooh. With Slipknot, I would say, like, if you're into, like, super heavy music and you really are looking for something like that, with Slipknot, I would definitely go to Iowa. Just for the fact that that was kind of our our nuclear weapon, really, you know? Like, people expected us to go so soft on the second album, and we went completely the other way, you know? I mean, just, you know, tapped into, you know, the, the, the dance macabre, really. Um, that's probably the, one of the darkest, thickest, grossest albums ever made. And I, I can't believe I lived to tell the tale about it. Um, <laughs> when, with Stone Sour, I would point them towards, honestly, towards House of Golden Bones parts one and two, because that was a concept that I, I came up with. Uh, I came up with the storyline. I wrote 86% of the music on that, um, I, I fashioned it, I arranged it, I sequenced it. Uh, uh, we were able to really do something cool. And there's a companion 
comic, you know, limited comic series that goes with it, uh, that it's actually really, really rad. Um, uh, let's see, my solo stuff, this album, CMFT, uh, because it's really a glimpse into all of the different styles that I, I, that I absolutely love from, from 70s punk to 70s glam, 80s, 80s hardcore punk, 80s glam, outlaw country, early 80s uh, Rick Rubin rap rock, jazz, but every song is killer. And that's really my, that's my forte is, it's the thing I take the most pride in is really trying to write the best song I can. You know, it's not just about dabbling in genres because anybody can do that. But if you don't have a song that can get stuck in somebody's head, what's the point, you know? So that's, that's where, that's where this whole thing starts for me. And uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm so proud of this album. Like, and if you're into that, if you're into rock and roll, you will absolutely love this album. Hell yeah. Well said. Looking forward to it. Corey, thanks a lot, brother. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Later. Wow, Ryan, that interview rocked. It sure did. It rocked and rolled, Lorraine. <laughs> uh, we are going to have another rock and rolling interview next week when we have Fortnite creative director Donald Mustard on the show. Um, he is another like hardcore old school Marvel fan uh, really talking about the, uh, the partnership between Marvel and Fortnite. We'll get into more of that next week, but Lorraine, we need a question of the week. Uh, how about, Oh, what is your favorite uh, Marvel Fortnite emote? I love when all the characters do their like little dances and they do their uh, jigs and then they like hug and then they are like, Hey buddy, thumbs up. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> what they say in the game. Fortnite. Yeah, it's really weird because if you have like the Captain America skin or you have the other characters and you start to like you see them floss, it just yeah. looks so strange, but so fun. It's so great. Yeah, I love when things are incongruous like that. Totally. Uh, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Let us know what your favorite Marvel aspect in Fortnite is. Is it a character? Is it a, a, a story, which is really cool and wild? Is it the tie in comics? What is it that uh, you really dig? It's you can the emotes. You can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel, email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com, or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. But I think we should take some twits from the community. <laughs> yes. Don't you uh, think it's time? I do think it's time. There was one that um, wasn't tagged with our hashtag, but I want to include it because it's from the Kawhi Prince at Colin J, who we love hearing from. Colin says, I echo to to all of us, the hosts, me, you, Lorraine, and James. Colin says, I echo your love for movie scores while reading comics. Apple Music has a best of Marvel and a best of Star Wars playlist that are my go-to comics reading playlists. Ryan, drop this mega comics reading playlist, please. So that's in reference to last week we were talking about our playlist. And I said I had a big one that I, it's all like electronic music and cool, um, you know, synthy scores. So I sent Colin J the link to that. It's on YouTube Music. If anyone else wants it, just tweet me at HM. I will send it your way. It is my jam. Yeah. Ian at the guard Ian uh tweeted us after hearing the This Week in Marvel podcast hosted by James Lorraine and Ryan about the 81 year history of Marvel. I decided to read Spider-Man Thor and the Avengers from the very beginning, the early 60s, all the way through. It's been a blast. Ian, great job. That is so fun to do to like just sit down and reread everything and you can do it on Marvel Unlimited. It's so easy. Just sit down and whip right through it. And you like watching the progression of the art, the storytelling, like when they figure out, oh, oh, this is working. People love this and we're having fun and these are good stories and good characters. And they just like really turn on the engines and start rolling. It's so good. Some great stuff in there. And then one more we got from Mr. Titanium at Mr. Titanium 18 saying, well, Lorraine and Ryan, it's because of you guys talking about these on This Week in Marvel that I have officially started my collection. And Mr. Titanium posted a picture of the Scotty Young style Spidey pin, which uh, 
I feel bad for getting someone addicted to pin collecting, but at the same time, I ain't sorry. It hurts so good. Yeah. We, um, Lorraine and I, we've been doing these, these uh, Instagram story things for Marvel Mania, which is going on on social media and through um, different partnerships. And one of the things that I got to shoot a video of are these X-Men pins that are like the, um, the four covers that Jim Lee did for X-Men number one in 1991 and an X-Men logo pin. They are awesome. They're so good. It's like I was like so excited to get these. And you got a freaking Lego set out of it. I'm yeah. pretty awesome. I got a huge uh, Avengers Lego tower. Is it the one with Modoc? Uh, no, oh. sorry. It is a Red Skull face, man. But I did also get the Black Widow doll, which mm-hmm. is made in collaboration with Marvel Studios. So it's a film accurate costume and it's so cute. I love it. I have it up in my house it makes me happy <laughs> yeah if you want to see these go to shop disney on instagram and you can check out our um our fun little videos and those are good yeah oh i wanted to read this one last comment from yes. jiggy cruz yes um who just because it was specifically for me i agree with all your spooky movie recommendations and the witches is definitely not for kids ryan please watch hocus pocus ryan this is Lorraine now. Please watch Hocus Pocus. It's so good. It's on Disney+. Plus. You can watch it right now. It has a musical number in it. It's utterly insane. It has a cat in it. The cat talks. I okay. know you're going to love it. All right. Oh, oh, man. There's nothing to not love about this movie. It is so good, Ryan. All right. We'll see. We'll see. Bring over Catherine Grace. She, her attention for films is not there yet. We were trying to show her um, Princess and the Frog yesterday, and she was like, she was more interested in her damn books than she was in the movie. Just How like her dare father. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's great. She's reading books and she's building blocks, and, and that's, that's what counts. Oh, yeah. You know, this week I celebrated um, Family Day with us, oh, which yeah. is really important for, for anyone who doesn't know, Catherine is adopted. And so, you know, we have her birthday, but we didn't meet her until she was about two weeks old. And so uh, October 15th was what we call family day when she came home and we met her. And uh, it's really special. So that's it. That's all I got. Happy family day. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know what, Lorraine? Seems like that's a wrap. For this episode of This Week in Marvel, which was produced by Percy of Erlin, Zachary Goldberg, Lauren Sink, and Ryan Pernagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Special thanks to MODOK. MODOK, for when you want to get ahead. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.